May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. On Saturday, Tom and I, my husband and I, were driving from our home in Forest Grove to our farm south of Hillsboro. When we make that trip, we travel on Blooming Fern Hill Road, an expanse that covers the incredible beauty of the rolling hills and the vineyards and the wheat fields and the farms. We crest a particular knoll, and as far as you can see, there's this magnificent expanse of God's creation. Smells of cut hay, watered gardens, oh yes, and there's sheep and goats and cattle. There's this array of colors that dot the landscape as the blonde hay awaits baling, and those deep green grapes are beginning to ripen, and the yellow corn stalks are swaying in the breeze. As far as I can see, the wonderment of God's creation. And there, in the distance she stands, watch, is Mount Hood. And she watches over all of the creation in the valley. I obviously love it. I know all of this beauty can be so, so wonderful. I also know that creation can bring heartache as well. I grew up on a farm. I know that crops sometimes don't produce the way you hope they will. I know that livestock get sick and they die. I know that pests play havoc with tomatoes and beans and cucumbers and anything else you might try to grow. This incredibly majestic world that has been entrusted to us, there is beauty and there is hope and there is heartache, and there is sorrow. I grew up in a home where Jesus was part of our family. At a very young age, I mean, I, I was a toddler sitting on my grandmother's knee in her rocking chair, and she told me the stories of Jesus. Baby Jesus, boy Jesus, man Jesus, the Jesus who was the healer who helped people to walk and made the blind to see, and the Jesus who died for me. I loved the kind and gentle Jesus. I loved the stories about his healing and his teaching. I lived, for a time, in the happily ever after. 
as I grew older, began to realize that the happily ever after wasn't the full story of what Jesus was all about. There was sorrow. There was pain. There was ridicule. There was death. And there was resurrection. I began to see the times when Jesus would challenge his followers, when he tested them to see what they understood about why he was there and what was he saying? What was his message? What would their response be? I think sometimes if I'm true to myself, and I will confess to you, I wanted to stay in the happily ever after because they didn't require anything of me. I could just go along. I ponder the times when Jesus questions his followers. Who do you say that I am? Oh, we're getting a little close here, Jesus. It's getting a little too close to home because that's the question he asks you and I. Who do you say that I am? And that makes me a little uncomfortable. Maybe that's how you feel as I do about Luke's gospel reading this morning. I don't know how it's possible that I always get these really weird gospels. <laughs> Have y'all noticed that? I'm thinking these two over here, you know, they're in cahoots. Fire? I mean, really, come on. All of this stuff, doesn't that make you uncomfortable? It makes my skin crawl. Well, probably what we need to know is the context. It's important to know that Luke's account earlier in this chapter has Jesus giving instructions. This doesn't come out of the clear blue, okay? Jesus has been talking with his guys, with his followers. He's trying to get them to understand the message of the kingdom of God and what it requires, how to share it, what it means, how to own it, how to give it. And it's not just all the happily ever after story. There's more. But wait, there's more? The more part is what we hear this morning. The part that's hard and confusing and challenging. Jesus, you have to wonder if he had, it was amazing when he got to that part of his delivery that he had any friends left. Nobody wants to do that. It's the tough stuff to which he calls attention to them. I think if we go to the verse that we didn't hear, that it's the verse that's just right prior to where our, where our um, piece begins today, it gives us a context. Of, and we encounter what Jesus' predictions of what he's going to be saying are all about. What happens when someone chooses to follow the way, the kingdom, God's kingdom, Jesus' way? Here's the verse that's right before what we started with. From everyone to whom much has been given, here we go, much will be required. And from one to whom much has been entrusted, even more will be demanded. 
it's not going to be that easy. Being a follower of Jesus will be demanding and unpredictable, perhaps threatening, and ultimately, I'm here to tell you, life-giving. Absolutely. Jesus' dramatic description of purpose is in a way sort of a way of getting the, the disciples, the followers, attention. You know, he tells all these stories, remember, throughout the Bible, they're sort of you know, they're a way of grabbing people's attention. That's what he's doing, and he gets it. Let me just focus on one verse. I have a baptism, he says. I have a baptism with which to be baptized. And what stress, stress I am under until it is completed. Jesus, stress. What is it that he's talking about here? What, is, what, what does all of this mean? How, what's create, how is this creating of stress for him? Pastor David Luce comments, he says, at this point in the story, remember that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where the conflicts that he's been having all along, they're going to boil over. And you, you know what happens. It gets to the point to where... There's a plot to take his life. Jesus knows that, and he goes anyway. He knows that he will, if you will, figuratively, he will soon be baptized not by water, but by fire kindled with the nails in his hands and his feet on a wooden cross. He's feeling the weight and the pressure of what is to come. And he uses a word familiar to us. He is stressed. And he is stretched, literally, literally, to the point of breaking. So my friends, beloved community, any of you ever had stress in your life? Oh, come on. Yeah. I'm telling you. Stretched to that breaking point. I was stressed having to write this blank, blank sermon. <laughs> I'm stressed right now. If you were to come and touch my hands, they are soaking wet. They are sw I'm sweating. I have sweaty palms. I'm stressed at what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. None of us is facing the crucifixion as Jesus knew it, but we all, every single one of us, have experienced stress in our lives to some degree. I think stress is our, at least for me, it's my traveling companion. I don't go anywhere without it. I've always got it in some form through family challenges or work uncertainty or health issues or financial insecurity or family disputes, you fill in the blank. You've got your own traveling companions. 
This past two weeks, I have been tracking the work that has been done at the Lambeth Conference uh, in, in England. The Archbishop of Canberra, um, every 10 years, invites the bishops from around the world to gather at Lambeth. And it's their time, and it, we're, they're off by a couple of years because of COVID, but um, this is a time where bis when bishops from all over the world come together to pray together, to listen to one another, to worship, to study. Well. This year's gathering began with stress in capital letters. Now, I won't go into all of the challenges. Um, you can find out about it online if you want to know, to more, know more information. But suffice it to say, there were some very large, capital large, and significant issues that divided the bishops from around the world. I don't want to talk about that stress, what I want to talk about, what I want you to hear and emphasize is how that stress was handled. And here what, here's what our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, he's coming, y'all, he's coming, you know, be here. Um, he's coming this, in September. This is what he has to say about the divisions. He says, and I'm quoting, I want you to know, though, that at the end of the day, when we did discuss same-sex marriage and marriage in general in the context about talking about human dignity and the ministry of reconciliation in Christ, I left that conversation hopeful. I left it hopeful not because we all came to agreement across all of our differences. No, no. We didn't even try to do that. I left hopeful not because I convinced anybody of where I stand or that they convinced me of where they stand. I left hopeful because this group of bishops seemed to be able to recognize and affirm our love and respect for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ in the body of Jesus Christ. and that we could find a way to honor and respect our differences. If we love each other and love our Lord, that, my friends, is a sign of hope. That is a sign of hope. That makes room and space for all of us, for all of us, to be in the course of our conversations. Love in Jesus Christ brings hope and relieves stress. When we face the stresses and strains of our lives, Jesus understands our condition. He's been there already. He's been through the fire, the rejection, the crucifixion, but he's also been resurrected and lives right here today with us. We can count on Jesus to stand with us in these times when life feels hopeless and we feel helpless. This past week, <clears throat> this past week I served as a juror on a sexual abuse trial in Washington County. I'd never served as a juror before. I'd been called, but I'd never been seated on the jury. Maybe you have, and maybe you remember this question I'm going to offer. I remember vividly that the quest, uh, one of the questions 
that was asked of the entire jury pool as they were preparing for selection. Are you able to stand in judgment of another person? The implications of that statement and my answer filled me with great anxiety and stress. I was seated on that jury and I did not sleep. I knew that I could not on my own fulfill this duty, so I prayed for God's guidance and I asked others to pray on my behalf and some of those folks are in this room that prayed me through the stress of that trial. We need not face our stresses alone. God is with us, as are the members of this beloved community here and beyond. We have available to us that great cloud of witnesses we just heard about and just sang about. We have that great cloud of witnesses to help us run life's race that's filled with challenges. So beloved ones, where do we stand today with Jesus? Are we ready to run the race despite the stresses and the strains and the headwinds of our lives? Maybe we've been running that race with Jesus for a long time and have experienced the presence of his grace and the mercy throughout all of the challenges. I pray for you and for me that we'll have faith in Jesus' presence, Jesus' steadfast endurance with us, and that we will be sustained as a beloved community as we face the pressures and the traumas and the tensions and the stresses of our lives. Let us pray. God of hope, from you come every blessing and all peace. Show us that in the midst of our struggles, you are with us. Give us the abundance of your grace that we may do the work you give us to do and that we may be for the world a sign of your presence and peace. In the name of the living, loving, life-giving God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen.